I'm excited to bring you another message in the message series called The Altered Life. Uh, it's something that God really stirred on really our team's, not just my heart, but our team's heart as we're just kind of exploring together what it really means to worship. Every once in a while, I think it's good to have a little bit of a heart check, if you will. You know, just like we go to the doctor and we get our annual physical uh, and sometimes, you know, as we get older, we, we, we do some things. You get on the treadmill, you do a stress test, you do some things to check to make sure the old ticker's good. Well, I think sometimes it's healthy within a church to just take a little bit of a heart check, to have a little bit of an annual heart check and to see, hey, are we, as a church, are we following the biblical mandate and the, and the, the biblical way that God has commanded us to worship? Because we live in such an influential culture, I think we have the propensity to allow culture to start to creep into the church and for the church to start acting more like the culture than the church acting more like what the Bible says we should be doing as a church and what it means to really worship. And so as I was doing that, I came across um, this verse and it's, I have to admit to you, I often would kind of, you know, you read over verses sometimes and then there's times where it's just like, it hits you a certain way. And one of my favorite verses and, and life verses is Romans 12 too, which y'all know that verse, or if you don't know it, it says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. And if there's one question that is commonly asked by me as a pastor is, pastor, how do I know God's will for my life? Like, how do I know his direction? And oftentimes we, we don't know his will because we haven't allowed our minds to be transformed or changed enough, renewed enough by the word of God to be able to discern, is this God's will? Is it my will? Is it just circumstances in my life? And so I love that verse because it, it gives us a blueprint for how we're changed, how we're transformed. That word transformation versus the word conformed. Do you understand? There, there's a way of the world. There's a pattern of the world. And that pattern is trying to shape you. It's trying to get you to conform your life to it. And even the way we worship, we have to be careful because we can become uh, a little bit endangered to conforming to a pattern of worshiping that isn't really godly and it's really not biblical. And so when I read Romans 12, 1, this time when I read it through that context, it just hit me a little bit different and I want to read it to you. In fact, I'm going to read it to you out of a little bit different translation than I normally use. I'm going to read it to you out of the very first translation of the Bible that I received at Vacation Bible School when I was in like the second or third grade. And it's called the Good News Translation. And I don't know how many of you saw it or how many when you were a kid, you, you read the Good News Translation. My Bible, it had a, a picture of David with, the, with sheep on the front of it. It was blue and everything. And this was a really cool story. I was at a men's retreat called Tres Dias years ago. And um, my aunt had sent this package to me. And I didn't know what it was, but on this retreat, I got to open it. And I open it, and it is my very first Bible from that vacation Bible school in the Good News Translation. And I open it up, and on the, on the page there, in my little second grain handwriting, it said, I with a heart, Jesus. 
And, and so you could see at a very young age, even though later I would, I would wander away from God, I wouldn't be following him, I'd get it. I started getting conformed to the pattern of this world. There was seeds of destiny and purpose that were planted in me that were there that just needed the Holy Spirit to breathe on it. Just like some of you this morning, I believe the Holy Spirit just needs to breathe on it. Sometimes we just need the life of God on something for it to come to life, amen? And so I want to read to you Romans chapter 12, verse 1 out of the Good News translation. It says this, So then, my friends, because of God's great mercy to us. Now, I love this. Paul, he's a master apologetic. And, and he, he, and theologian, by the way. And he sets up this verse and he says, Now, before I talk about what I want you to do, I want to remind you of something. He says, I want you because I want you to think about this because of God's great mercy to us. Now, how many of you know that scripture that God's mercies are new every morning? They're fresh every morning. In fact, that word new isn't new in the sense that he does it again, the same thing again and again every morning of every day. It's actually the word new, as in doing something new that hasn't been done before. So you may have received mercies of God yesterday, but when you woke up this morning, there was fresh mercy that God had just for you for what you needed for today, for the season of life that you're in. So God's mercies are new every morning. That is different. That is customized to you, that God's mercy is new for you today, and he has it for you today. Great is his faithfulness. Come on, is there anybody that can be grateful for the mercy of God? Are you grateful that God saved you? Are you grateful that God healed you? Are you grateful that God has fresh mercy for you this morning? Are you grateful for the grace of God? Are you grateful that he took the nails so that you could be free of sin and addiction and depression and anger and bitterness and unforgiveness? I don't know about you, but I am grateful. And is with that heart of gratitude, that, that viewpoint, that mindset that Paul is saying, listen, now with that framework, with those lenses of God's great mercy for you and me, I appeal to you. This is Paul saying that the language is strong. He's saying, I beg you to think about this. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God. Dedicated, committed to his service and pleasing to him. And here's the line. This is your true worship that you should offer. So God is saying, listen, God has been so good to you and me. He's given us such an amazing grace. He's extended us mercy and continues to show us mercy day after day. He's been so faithful. He's been so good. With that in mind, offer yourselves of a living sacrifice and worship him. That is your true worship that is pleasing to God. And so here we have this idea of this altered life where as we give our lives to God as an act of worship, that is our living sacrifice. But it isn't a one-time thing. It's a continual thing that we do. We continually offer ourselves to God as an act of worship. So this is interesting. This is what you need to understand. To worship God is to serve him and to serve him is to worship him. Now in the Bible, the word for worship and the word to serve God are used interchangeably. Let that sink into your mind for a little bit. There are many Bible verses that you could substitute the word worship for the word serve God. 
And yet for many of us, we don't, we don't get this. We don't understand this. We think that worshiping God is what we did a few minutes ago by singing, by, by shouting, by praising him, by lifting up his name. But Paul is trying to under, get us to understand something that the greatest act of worship that you can do is offer yourself in service to God. That's your true and proper worship. And this is where we get our hands dirty, people. This is when the rubber, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is the practical side of worshiping God. It's not the ethereal, like, you know, yeah, I just worship God and just me and the Lord, we're just having this time, Pastor Lance. It's just, I'm just worshiping. The, played my song, my favorite song, and I'm just in my Jesus groove. And that's all wonderful. And we hope that you get in your Jesus groove. But even more importantly, is that we would put on the hands of Jesus and the feet of Jesus, just like we did yesterday at Evergreen Junior High. And I'm so grateful for those of you who came out and you were the hands and feet of Jesus. I personally believe that the world is tired of hearing Jesus loves you. It's tired of hearing, looking at Christian bumper stickers and saying, you know, quoting verses at people. The world is looking for people that look like Jesus. And if you're gonna look like Jesus, we need to serve like Jesus served. But you have a choice. God always gives you a choice. You have a choice when you come in to worship, to lift your hands, to, to praise him. It's a choice. You say, I don't feel like it today. You know, I had a rough week. I'm tired. I feel like lifting my hands. Well, there's a sacrifice of praise and there's a sacrifice of service. You know, one of the things I was thinking about when um, uh, Jess gave a great message a couple of weeks ago about the, the, the singing part of worship, what we do when we worship like we did just a little while ago. But she was talking about how Abraham was bringing his son Isaac up, up to offer him because God told him to and he was obeying it even though he didn't understand it. It was confusing to him. But his obedience was a great act of worship. But, but there's this one verse that always gets me that on the way up, Isaac says to his father, Father, I see the wood, I see the knife, but where's the sacrifice? And I think we have to be careful in our modern day culture that we're, we don't get so conformed to the pattern of this world that we buy into church is all about me. It's about, about me getting my Jesus groove on. It's about playing my favorite song. And I come to church and I don't, I don't like the good news translation, Pastor Lance. You should preach out of the ESV. That's God's translation. That's the best translation. And, and I don't like it when you get all excited and scream and shout. Can you just tone it down a little bit? And why are you wearing those sneakers? You know, can't you just put on some dress shoes and, and stuff like that? And you know what? If you need some help, I'll buy you some jeans without holes. Because, you know, I noticed you, you, you wear some... Uh, just saying. And why do we have to have all this black around? Can't we just lighten up things a little bit around here? You know, and so on and so on and so on. But it can become all about us. And I want to show us that there's this principle that we have to understand. And that's this, that's Christian serve. That we, we are known for our service, but we have a choice. You and I, we have a choice. In fact, I want to show you in the Bible where one of those words for worship and one of those words for serving the Lord are interchangeable. And it's found in Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. And um, I want to set it up for you because Joshua, now the Israelites, they're in the promised land. And can I tell you, this is just a beautiful picture of you and I that there are promises that God has for you and for me that we need to put our feet on, <laughs> that we need to like walk out with God, that we need, to, we need to occupy, that we need to possess. 
And God tells him, I want you to go in and possess the land. And he says something interesting. I've already given you the land. You just need to possess it. But then they're like, wait, wait a minute. If you gave it to us, then why are there just some giants and like some cities with big guys and, you know, spears and what? I thought you gave it to us. Yeah, I've given it to you, but you still need to fight. And too many of us, that's the problem. We don't want to fight for the things that God has given you and freely paid for because of Jesus Christ. We need to possess the promise. And now Joshua, he's led the army in there. They've defeated their enemies. And they're not, now they're dividing up the spoils, so to speak. They're dividing up the land and they're, they're settling into the promises of God. And Joshua, being a good leader and pastor, understands that there's a little bit of danger here. And that danger is that when you, all your enemies are defeated and you've gotten freedom in your life and you got peace in your life and God has moved in your life, that when you start to settle down in the good land that God has given you, a land of milk and honey, and we have to be careful that we don't get into the danger of this living in America, that we start to get comfortable and we start to forget who it is that gave us that freedom, that, who, that somebody paid a price for it, that somebody gave their life for it. And so Joshua is going to talk to the Israelites. And this is what he says, Joshua 24, 14. He says, now fear the Lord. And, and we don't like that. We don't like that idea of fearing the Lord. Isn't that an Old Testament thing, Pastor? No, it's a God thing. I think we need a little bit more fear of the Lord in the church these days. And, and it's not fear in the sense of I'm afraid of God. Like, you know, I used to be afraid if I sinned that God was going to zap me with a lightning bolt. You know, I go outside and boom, there you go. Damn, wipe you out. That's not the kind of fear that this is talking about. It's talking about a fear of reverence and awe, like a holy respect. I think we need a holy respect of God again. Don't you? We need a holy respect and reverence that when we gather here to worship, that we are worshiping a king. We are worshiping a king. We are worshiping the one who laid down his life for you and me and died and bled and was crucified on a cross and died an ugly criminal's death. And he says this, now fear the Lord and do what? Serve him. You could interchange that word serve with worship. Now honor the Lord and worship him with all your faithfulness, all your faithfulness. And this is a problem. We're living in a culture where nobody wants to commit to anything anymore. Nobody wants to be faithful. There's something to be said about being faithful. I think the Bible talks about that a little bit, being faithful in the small things. It's you show up, you do the little things. Like, like today, y'all came in and, and I know this, you wouldn't know this, but, but my, my son and daughter were up here worshiping and they had to get here at six in the morning or seven in the morning. And my daughter worked all day yesterday, like 12, 13 hour shift from, shift from nine in the morning till midnight and barely got any sleep, gets here. There's people that got here early. We're getting ready to make coffee for you. They got here early. They're getting, uh, I was, I, I pulled in with my car and I saw Jackie, our kids director. She's out there barefoot in the grass, getting water things set up for the kids to come and get in already. People are walking around praying. There's intercessors. They don't have, get a lot of limelight or attention here. They came here yesterday on Saturday morning for over an hour and they pray. Well, they didn't do it yesterday morning because we were serving over there at junior high but normally they're here Saturday morning. They're praying for you. They're praying for me. They're praying for our church. They're praying for our valley and nobody sees them and nobody gets the credit, but it doesn't matter because they're faithful. 
We need faithful people. God is looking for faithful people. He says, and serve him, worship him with all faithfulness. And here it is. Throw away the gods of your ancestors' worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and worship or serve the Lord. And now, now he transitions a little. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve or whom you'll worship. Whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're now living. And here it is. Here's the verse that struck me. And I hope and pray that it strikes you because this is something you got to determine in your heart for you. This is the choice that we all are faced with. And this is the choice that you have to make and that you're making regardless if you realize it or not. Because no decision is still a decision. It's indecision. He says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I have to admit that's a lot easier to amen and clap to than it is to show up week after week and be faithful in the little things and to serve God and worship him. In fact, um, I remember when I was in business, I would travel to Europe and one of the things that I loved to do when I was traveling, if I had a little bit of free time, is I'd love to go visit some of the Gothic cathedrals. I just thought they were so cool and amazing. Like the attention to detail uh, and the architecture, the stained glass. I mean, I remember um, when my wife and I was on a business trip in Spain and we got to, what was the, uh, the name of that? No, not, that's France, Notre Dame. We got to see Notre Dame too. But there's a cathedral in Spain that literally for over 100 years has been going through renovations. And, and just amazing. I mean, you'd walk in them and the awe and, and the way that there's designed, by the way, is really cool. It, it's designed so that when you walk in that your attention goes like that. Not like this, but like that. But what's really cool, probably the most fascinating thing about those old Gothic cathedrals, there was a town uh, about 157 kilometers west of London. There's a cathedral there called Salisbury Cathedral. It is about an 800 year old Gothic cathedral that had been um, going through some pretty serious renovations. But here, listen to this. This is the coolest part about this. As they were tearing down and pulling back some of the um, statues, some of the, you know, the architecture, some of the wood, and in the process of doing some renovations, what they found blew their mind. That some of the most beautiful artwork wasn't on the outside that you could see, but on the back of wood planks. But underneath statues of sculptures where nobody could see it, and people marveled at that. Like, why would you create and spend so much time on this beautiful artwork and sculptures and things like that in places that are hidden that nobody else could see? And it's because we have lost, we've gotten away from this, but in that culture, they understood something that we need to understand. 
that it was the things done in secret and it was the things that were hidden that you do for God that nobody else sees, that nobody gets the credit for, but they understand that they were living for an audience of one and that part of their work was worship. And by creating such beauty and art, they weren't just doing, doing it for everybody else to see, they were doing it for God himself to bring glory to God. And I thought, wow, man, if we could just get that in our hearts and start living like that. Here's the second thing that you need to understand that to worship him is to serve him, but to serve him is to serve the ones he loves. You see, God loves people. He died for people. And can I tell you a secret? Not just people that love him back. Not just people that look like us, talk like us, vote like us, have partners like us, but all people, all tribes, all nations. He desires that all are saved and come to know him and know his love. And guess what? He's counting on you and me to be his hands and feet on earth to show people what he looks like and what his love looks like. And that is practical. I tell you, the world is tired of hearing Jesus loves you. They want to see it. They want to feel it. They want to experience it. But we could get so consumed in, you know, our friends and our life and our people that we could forget that even right now in this service and people that are watching online, that they came in, they're hopeless, they're, they're broken, they're hurting, they're addicted. And we're just content with hanging out with our friends and enjoying the goodness of God. And we should do that. And that's a beautiful thing. Don't get me wrong. But when we stop forgetting that we're here to serve the people that God loves, the church exists to serve the world, not the world to serve the church. I love what Billy Graham says. He says this, the highest form of worship is the worship of unselfish Christian service. The greatest form, listen to this, the greatest form of praise is not what we did just a little while ago, singing praises to God and everything, but the greatest form of praise is the sound of consecrated feet seeking out the lost and helpless. When the world starts to hear people coming to help them, that are hurting, that are broken, that are hopeless. Man, it, we gotta stop complaining about the state of the world and we gotta start taking responsibility that God gave us a mandate. He gave us a mission and you've been appointed, you've been commissioned to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the world. I was thinking, um, how many of you are leftover people? Like, you don't know what I mean by that? Like you're leftover people. I'm a, I'm, I have to admit, my name is Lance and I'm a leftover guy. Like I, like I go, my, my wife, she hates this about me and I'll explain why, but we'll go out to eat and we'll go like, you know, Mackenzie River pizza and there'll be like one lodgepole left. And the lady be like, you want a box for that? I'm like, yeah, heck yeah, I want a box for that. I paid $20 for those lodge poles. You know, by the way, has anybody seen the prices of like going out to eat? Oh my gosh. 
Like, I'm like, yeah, I'm paying $20 for that lodgepole. You dang skippy, I'm gonna put it in a to-go box. Like, I'm like, if there's a piece of crust left on that pizza, I'm putting it in a to-go box because I'm a leftover guy. My wife's like, really, babe? Like, do we have to? I'm like, yeah. So I'm like, if it's there, it's coming home with daddy. Daddy taking it. But the problem is, my wife will go in our refrigerator and there'll be like five leftover boxes from a week ago sitting in the refrigerator and she'll, I bring them home, she throws them out. That's the way we were. We've gotten into more tense arguments about throwing, over, throwing out leftovers, right? But here's the problem, you know, it's okay. Mom cooks fresh meal for the family and for the kids. But if there's a night, mama's got a meeting and dad's in charge, it's leftover night in the Danik household. I'm going in, I'm getting those boxes out and it's like a, a, a leftover smorgasbord. It's like, I got two chicken nuggets from Chick-fil-A left over here, who wants it? It's like an auction with the kids. Who wants that? Yeah, I got a Chick-fil-A sauce. You can have that. Who wants the slice of pizza? You know, blah, 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 blah. And daddy's giving them leftovers. And that's all cool and funny, but I remember the Holy Spirit hit me one day when he said, Lance, why do you give leftovers to the people you love the most? And he wasn't talking about food. And it just crushed my heart. Because I realized like there's, there's times where I, I think I'm doing things in the service of God, but I'm, I'm missing out and I'm giving God and I'm giving the people that he loves and the people that are, are nearest and dearest to my heart, the leftovers of my life. And so I know this isn't, you know, highly encouraging, but the title of my message is Serving Leftovers to a King. Because I wanna ask you a question. If I, had, if I had some of you coming over to my house for dinner, you bet I would not be pulling out those leftovers and putting it in front of you. I'd be preparing a meal, I'd be thinking about it. The house would be clean, it'd be picked up, it'd be spotless. We'd be ready for you. There'd be the little scented candle, you know, lit. You know, so you don't smell the, the teenager's shoes all by the door. Uh, there'd be all that. We'd make sure there was toilet paper in the bathroom and everything, you know, and some poopery to go with it. But you know you have it. Don't lie. You know you got it. But I got to ask you a question. What if you had Governor Gianforte coming over for dinner? Man, you might go all out, go buy some T-bone steaks, maybe some shrimp. Get all your fancy china out, not paper plates that day. What if you had Jesus himself coming for dinner? Would you serve him leftovers? Or would you give him your very best? But I wonder how many of us are serving leftovers to a king? How many of us, we come in, we roll up on a Sunday and we're tired from the week because we've done all this other stuff and it's like, yeah, I'll throw up a hand and, you know, throw a little money in the bucket. Got some leftover after I bought my, my new sneaks, my new camper, my new boat, whatever. How many of us, you know, we worked all week and we worked really hard at our jobs because we want to get a promotion. And so we give our very best to our jobs, but then we roll in to serve in the church and yeah, you know, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know my words real well. I didn't practice. I just kind of rolled up there and the Holy Spirit took over. No, you didn't worship God by preparing. 
You didn't serve him by serving others, by giving your time and your talents and your treasure to him above all things. And I think for many of us, we're in danger of serving leftovers to a king when we don't take service serious. And we don't see our service to God as just not something we do for the church. We got needs, no doubt. We have lots of needs, like our church is growing, which is wonderful, God is moving in it. But that just means like we have, we need more help, we need more people joining in. You know, and shameless plug, like some of our team, they, they, they need your help and want your help. They're gonna be in the lobby out there and we've got, a, we've got a list of things that you can join to help out and you can make a commitment to do that. But I think really it starts in the heart. It starts like Joshua would said with a choice. Choose this day whom you'll worship. Choose this day whom you serve. So I believe there's three choices that all of us can make because God has blessed us. He's given you gifts. He's given you talents. My goodness, he's given us the gift of time. We have more free time at our disposal than any other time in history. We've got these mini supercomputers in our back pocket. We could Google anything, find out anything. We don't have to like, we don't have to translate the Bible so we could read it. We're spoon fed it. Everything is on our disposal. So we have more time, more money, more resources than any other time in history. And the church is, it, it, honestly, when you look at the state of the church, it is weak in comparison to when they had nothing. They had everything. Because it says they all came together and they all gave, they sold land, they, they had everything in common. They gave together, they served together, they ate together, they fellowshiped together, they built the kingdom together. And I think we need a revival of service for us to get a fresh revelation of what it means to be a part of the church, to be a part of the bride of Christ. And it's gonna take you and I to make some serious choices. So I believe we've got three choices we have to make. Number one, we can use our gifts to build the kingdom. You can use your time, you can use your talent, you can use your treasure and say, I wanna serve God by serving his church and I want to be a part of building his kingdom that's my priority that's my greatest act of worship is my greatest act of service I want to be using it to build the kingdom or number two you can choose to use your gifts to build yourself and a lot of us are in danger of that it was actually one of the reasons I, I felt that choice in front of me when I made the choice to become a pastor and to go into full-time ministry. I felt I was in danger of using some of my gifts to build myself and my kingdom and not his kingdom. And I, I didn't want to look back at the end of my life and have regret because regret's a killer. And number three, you can just neglect the gift altogether. And that is like, you're not using your gifts. You're not using it for anything. You're not doing it. You're just sitting on it. And Jesus himself in a parable would say, those who don't do anything with what I'm giving you, even what you have is gonna get taken away. And I don't do that to scare you, but just to bring reality to it, that God honors faithfulness in what's been given. And that the more you use to build the kingdom of God, the more that God gives to you and blesses you. And it's amazing. But I, I, I was trying to think of a, a story in the Bible that illustrated servant heart and serving as worship to God. 
And, and there's lots of different stories that I could have chose, but I chose this one because I think more than anything, when I read this, every time I read it, it like hits me right here in the chest. And it's the night before Jesus would be betrayed and go to the cross and he would be brutally beaten, mocked, stripped, ridiculed, spit on, crown of thorns in his head, barely made it alive to the cross. He's nailed to the cross, crucified a criminal's death, bled out, suffocated for you and for me. He knows, listen, he knows he's going to suffer. And you would think on the last night that he's alive and he's free, he would choose to maybe just, you know, man, I've given my, my life to serve God, you know, this is a night where I'm gonna gather my friends and I'm gonna have a little party for me. It's gonna be my last supper. This is gonna be my going away party. And so he tells two of his disciples, he says, it's the Passover and he wants to have a pass. He said, my heart longs to share this meal with you. This is his last request. This is his last choice that he spends his time, his talent and any treasure that he has left. This is. This, this blows me away. This is the very last thing that Jesus did. Think about this, people. He could have chosen to do more miracles. He could have chosen to heal more people. He could have chose, like he did on the Sermon of the Mount, to give us one of the greatest sermon messages, kingdom message, wisdom straight out of heaven to us that would be recorded in the Bible forever. But he didn't. He could have made it about himself but he didn't. He took two of his disciples, pulled them aside. He said, listen, I want you to prepare the, the Passover meal for us to share together. Go make an arrangements. He said, I've already taken care of you. You're going to find this person. They're going to allow us to use an upper room. Now, I thought that that was really interesting that it's the upper room because typically, especially in charismatic Pentecostal churches, we love to talk about the upper room. We love to talk about where the Holy Spirit is poured out. But you know where that began? That began in upper room where Jesus would, as the Bible says in John chapter 13, it says that after the Passover, just before the Passover meal, Jesus knew that his hour was coming, that he was going to suffer. And, and he knew he was going to leave them in this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own here who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. He was faithful to the very end. How was he faithful to the very end? It says the evening meal was in progress and the devil already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And Jesus knew, listen to this, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. In other words, here, he's the king of the world. All things are under his power. He knew it. I'm the most powerful man in the world. He knew it. He knew he had the power. He knew who he was. And that he had come from God and was returning to God in verse 4. And this is it. This is the moment that gets me. It says that he got up from the meal and he took off his outer clothing. That's his robe. Now let me give you a little perspective here. A lot of people think that Jesus was a pauper. A lot of people that Jesus like, you know, he was just getting by on the earth that he wore raggedy clothes and, and everything. Can I tell you that there was a group of women that were seamstress, 
that people gave money. Jesus' ministry was not hurting for money. People gave money to it. And they made for him this beautiful tunic. It's what, it's what rabbis wore. It's what teachers wore. It was a robe of honor and it was expensive and it was beautiful. Don't believe me? Why in the world would soldiers, when Jesus was on the cross, why would they cast lots? Why would they gamble just for his robe if it wasn't worth anything? Selah, think about that. So he takes off his royal robe and gets up from the meal, wraps a towel around his waist. After that, he pours water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, I want to paint for you this picture because you have to get this. Sometimes we read scripture and we're just like, oh, wow, cool. That's awesome. Great job, Jesus. Wash their feet. No, you have to understand. They wore open toe, open foot sandals. They walked in the mud, the dirt, the dung. A lot of these dudes were fishermen. There's scales from cleaning fish. There's guts from cleaning fish. These are dirty feet. Now, Jesus asked two of his disciples to go prepare the meal. Do you know what part of the preparation was? When you walked in the door, you were greeted by a servant. That servant's one, one task was to make sure you were taken care of. You walked in the door, the very first thing they did is, oh, sit down, let me take off your sandals and let me wash your feet. Why? Because in Jewish culture back then, their dining tables were about this high off the ground. That meant, that's why it says that they were reclining at the table. They were reclining because the table's this high. So they're leaning on one side, which means their feet are all up in your business. Now think about that for a minute. This is awkward and uncomfortable and quite frankly, pretty smelly, stinky, gross. When you've got Peter's feet all up in your grill, you got his toe cheese, you got some fish scales hanging off of it, you got dirt. I mean, this ain't smelling real good. And Jesus is looking around and I bet you, mind you, in their haste, they forgot to get a servant. They served leftovers to a king because they didn't take the time to think about it and think that, what is Jesus gonna need? Their service to Jesus was getting a servant and they missed it. And now it's awkward. And now all the disciples are, are looking around and they're elbowing each other saying, hey, where's the servant? Oh, John forgot, he didn't get it. No, I, I didn't, but that was Peter's job. And you could just hear them bickering and, and arguing, well, who's gonna do it? Who's gonna wash the feet? I'm not doing it, you do it. I don't, you wanna wash Peter's feet? I don't wanna wash his stinky feet, no. And so you could see this around the room and I could just hear Jesus knowing their thoughts, gets up, takes off his robe, takes a towel, puts it around his waist, pours water into the basin and does the unthinkable. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in the very last message that he preaches, it isn't a miracle, it isn't a message, but it is. He shows them what real leadership looks like. That he was willing to get down in the dirt with them and wash their feet. And look at verse 12, because they're all, he gets up after, it says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place, and he says, do you understand what I've done for you? And he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and that's rightly so, for that's what I am. 
But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you as an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very, very truly, I tell you. Now, when he would use a word twice, it's kind of like your mama calling you. She means business. Jesus means business. Very, very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, no messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now, listen to this. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed. If you do them, the word is makarios. It means you'll be happy. Now, this is completely countercultural. The world tells you, you want to be happy? You need to be in a position where you demand. People are serving you. You're kicking back. Somebody's washing your feet. Somebody's washing your car. Somebody's serving you, preparing your meals, serving it to you. That's when you know you made it, bro. You're a TikTok star. Look at you go. It's all about you. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I tr I truly, I tell you, the servant is the greatest master, but I've, I've shown you, you're going to be happy. You're going to be blessed if you don't just say, yes, Pastor Lance, amen, that's great. And then you don't do anything. Wow, could you imagine if the church, if everybody in this room did something for the kingdom? There's a saying in church leadership circles that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I would love to see that flipped on its head. Could you imagine when the church starts worshiping Jesus by serving him, by serving people? There's a couple things real quick I wanna go over with you before we close that I think are important. When I read this, it struck me, he took off his robe. It was a royal robe. He wasn't just taking off his robe to, to be free. He was making a statement. That statement was he was cho choosing service over status. Man, we're living in an age where everybody wants a status. Everybody wants a title. Everybody wants their ministry. Everybody wants to be famous on social media and, and, and put it out there. But let me tell you, the Bible says God looks at the heart. Men look at the outside. Jesus made a statement. When he took off his robe, he said, hey, I know I'm the Lord. I know I got all power, but it doesn't matter. The first will be last and the last will be first. And people that are willing to serve the broken and the low and get low with people, they're the ones that are really worshiping me. You know what? There's several different words for serving in the Bible. I want to point out to you one, this one, because I think it goes when he takes off his robe. It's the word huperetes. Do you know what it means? It means one who's an under rower. Y'all don't even know what that means. Some of you are looking at me with a blank stare. You ever seen Ben-Hur? Remember those ships, the old time ships? They didn't have engines. They didn't run on diesel. They ran on manpower. But what they would do is on top of the deck, you'd see the captain with his little feather in his cap and his, you know, his little patches and just all, I'm the captain of the ship, king of the world, you know? And he's sitting up there on top of the ship and he's got his little thing. But underneath, there's people like you and me together to the beat of a drum in unity, sweating away. Nobody sees them. They're underneath the boat. They're under rowers. That's the word. They're servants. 
They're the ones that are making the engine go. They're the ones that are making the boat go. Nobody ever sees them. They don't get the glory. Nobody knows their name. But if they don't row, this ship ain't going nowhere, bro. And I'm so thankful to be in a church where there's people like Nona Mitchell that as soon as this service is over, y'all never heard her name. You may not even recognize her, but she'll be picking up all your garbage from you leaving your cups of coffee and stuff like that. She's an under rower. There's people right now, you can't see them. You don't know their name. They're serving your kids. There are people that will go to Evergreen Junior High this week. They'll take time to write out encouragement cards to teachers. They're gonna meet with students that are struggling. You'll never hear their name. You'll never know them. But if it wasn't for them, the mission and vision of this church ain't going nowhere. They're rowing every day faithfully. I'm, I'm serving God. I'm worshiping Him. I don't care if I got a title. I don't care about my status. I'm taking off my status. I'm a no one, ready to serve anyone. The second thing he did is he took a towel and he wrapped it around his waist. And I love uh, the Message Bible. It says he took off his robe and he put on an apron. I love that. Come on, stay with me for a few minutes. You got to get this. I was thinking about taking up a towel and I was thinking that, you know, in a boxing match or MMA fight, there's usually, you know, there's, there's a ring man. There's a guy, there's the two fighters, but then they have their team and there, there's a coach, you know, there's a trainer and there's several different people in their corner with them. And they're not the ones fighting, but they're the ones, you know, there and they each have specific roles, but there's usually one person there. He's the towel guy. He's the towel boy. And his one job is when that fighter comes and sits down, he, he wipes the sweat off their face. He'll wipe the blood, you know, away from their cuts and their wounds. He'll clean them up. He'll give them some water. If there's blood on the, on the mat, he'll come, he'll get on his knees and he'll wipe up the sweat. He'll wipe up the blood that's on the floor. He'll, he'll clean up the dirt and he'll go back to the corner. And I wonder, man, I was thinking, we as the church, we need to become towel people. We need to become towel people, people who are willing to get on the ground with people who are fighting for their life. They're beat up, they're bloody, they're dirty, they're wounded, they're hurting, they're hopeless. And they're looking for people to come along with some towels and say, come on, I'll wipe those tears from your eyes. I'll wipe the sweat, I'll, I'll wipe the blood. God, help us to be towel people. When you become a towel, people, you choose to serve others over yourself. It's like, this isn't for me. I'm not going to get the glory if this fighter wins. But I'll tell you what, I served him. I helped him. I helped him make it. I helped him get out there one more round. Stay in the fight. I'm here with you. I'm supporting you. It's the Greek word diakonos. It means one who serves another's needs. It's what Paul talks about in Philippians. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or in vain conceit. And that's the problem. A lot of times we serve, but we do it. We got a little bit of our agenda. But rather in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. 
where he said this. He said, who being in the very nature of God, he's God, but he didn't consider himself equal with God, something to be used by his own advantage. Rather, he made himself what? Nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, he became human. He became weak. He became frail, just like us. And the last thing that he does, and I'll close with this, and this is where the rubber meets the road. It's one thing to take off his robe. It's another thing to pick up the towel. But now when he gets down on his knees and he takes the basin and he puts the disciples' dirty, stinky, smelly feet in front of him. And it says that he poured out symbolizing what he would do a day later that he was poured out. His blood poured out. But before he poured out his blood, he poured out the water into the basin and he got in the dirt and he washed off the dirt, their feet. And he was committed. So much so, listen to this, that he even washed the one who would betray him. That's love. That's real love. We could talk about loving people, but washing the feet of the one who would betray you, that's a whole nother level. Now listen, when he got on the ground and he poured out the water, he was choosing commitment over comfort. He says, I'm all in with you. To the very end, I'm gonna love you. Every single one of you, I'm gonna wash every single one of your feet. I'm not gonna stop, I'm, I'm committed to you. So much so. The Greek word for this is doulos, it means bondservant. It's when, it's when you were a slave, you had a seven year commitment. Y'all heard at the seventh year, it was the year of Jubilee. Every seven years, every, every slave has the ability to be set free. It's a beautiful picture of what Jesus did for us. But if you were a slave, if you were a servant, you were like, it's not like today, it's like you were hired by that master. You, you worked for this guy. And if you were treated well, at the seven years, you were given an opportunity to be free. But some of them, because they were treated so well, loved so well, they chose to continue to be a servant. They said, no. I love you, I'm part of the family now, I wanna be you. And they would put an earring in there. I actually used that to justify when I was in high school, tried to tell my dad, that's why I'm getting an earring, dad. It's okay, it's in the Bible. I'm, I'm servant of Jesus, I'm committed to him. It worked. <laughs> but it means I am committed. I'm, are we willing, like Paul would say, to be poured out? Are we willing to give it all? Are we willing to say, I'm not gonna just serve once, I'm gonna be faithful, I'm gonna be committed. It's not gonna be comfortable. This is, this is anything but comfortable. Getting on your knees, washing these guys' feet. But he was committed to them. And we have a choice to make, church. Are we gonna choose to serve over status? Are we gonna choose to serve people over ourselves? 
And are we gonna choose to be committed over our comfort? That's the choice. Choose to stay whom you'll serve. I'll end with this story, it's, it's a brief one. Johann Sebastian Bach, when he would, uh, he's kind of like, in musical terms, the Shakespeare, as Shakespeare was to literacy as, as um, yeah, the guy uh, Newton was to physics and all these different things he was to music. Master composer, 256 cantatas for if you've ever been to a wedding, you probably had heard Jesu Joy of a Man's Desiring. You, you've, you've heard his, his music, but actually his lyrics were prayers. You probably don't know that. I think that's one of the reasons why they're so powerful and why it touches our souls because it was written from the soul. But on every page, when he would write those beautiful lyrics and compose that beautiful music there was two things on the top of the page he would put jj on the bottom of the page he put sdg J, jj stand for jesu uh jehovah something i forget jesu something <laughs> pastor fell but what it meant is jesus i need help at the bottom of the page, SDG stands for Sole Deo Gloria, which means for the glory of God alone. Every note was done for the glory of God alone. But he understood something like you and I need to understand. Jesus, I need help. I really felt as we closed our service what the Lord put on my heart to do so God, how do you want to close this? And I felt like he said, there's some of us that need Jesus not to wash our feet, but to wash our hearts. That part of our desires are messed up. We've allowed the world to contaminate us. The way we see worship, we need, to, we need Jesus to come and to wash and cleanse our hearts, to purify our hearts if we're gonna be people that worship God in spirit and truth. So I want you all to just stand to your feet as the worship team leads us in this last song, but I wanna pray for us as we close. I want you to just put your hand on your heart right now. Jesus, would you come? Would you wash us clean? Would you wash away? anything that we've allowed into our hearts, into our souls, that is blocking the flow of your life, that is getting in the way, that is contaminating our love for you, our passion for you, our joy for you, our service to you. Man, I just see the Holy Spirit just coming and washing, cleansing, pouring water over some of you right now. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to just come wash over us. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, Pastor Lance, I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. I want to become a Christian. Can I tell you that Jesus Christ poured out his blood on the cross for you and for me. Can wash away all your sin, forgive you of all your sin. And today could be the day where you say, I commit, I choose this day to surrender my life to God, to lay it down on the altar, 
to give it to him. He'll come into your life. He'll forgive you of all your sin. He'll make all things new. There'll be new, fresh life that comes into you. That's you here this morning. Just slip up your hand. I just want to pray for you. God bless you, brother. Best decision of your life. Anyone else? Say, I'm choosing to go all in with Jesus. Father, right now I pray for those who made that decision, and those who are wrestling with that decision, and for those of us who have made that decision a long time ago. I pray that there would be a fresh fire that would come on us. Fresh fire. Come now, Holy Spirit. Breathe on us. Breathe on your people. Fan into flame. The gift of God in us for your service, for your glory alone. In Jesus.